This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. And now we've got some earthy Real Talk gardening with Wally Richards. Good morning, Wally. Good morning, Rodney, and everybody else out there in our radio land. Now, I worry about this, Wally, because you spend a lot of time writing emails and uh, talking to me about gardening, and you spend a lot of time with our listeners and your customers packing up packing up their supplies and posting them off and all that administration. Do you get some time to garden yourself? Um. I wish I did. <laughs> I really wish I did. Like I, I, I get up in the morning and I think, now I've got to do that. And I still haven't done it the next day. Um, it, just one thing after another. Um, yeah, I have to make time. It's better planning, but uh, at times you get so busy. I've got to prune my roses still. I haven't done that. I've still got to plant those seedlings we talked about last session. Um, I haven't done that. I've got to sort out my strawberry plants. I haven't done that. And then I've got to sort out my glass houses and all the plants that are finished for the season, get rid of them and, and get ready to start again. And I should mm-hmm. be germinating some seeds of tomatoes and stuff, but I you're, haven't done that either. You're like you're like the carpenter that has all those jobs to do around home and can't do them and the house is falling to bits because they're that busy working on everyone else's house. Yeah, yeah, true. It's quite sad, isn't it, that you love gardening and you can't get at it enough? But I can think about it. Yes. But you love, <laughs> I notice that you love people even more. So you love your customers, don't you, and talking to them? Well, I, I love helping people uh, with their gardening endeavors because um, I mean, to say the worst thing of all is for people that are not sure about what they're doing and they need some guidance, and um, I can do that very simply and very easy over the phone, no problems at all. Um, and you love doing it? Yeah, I love it. Um, I was I had a lady yesterday, um, an elderly lady, well-experienced gardener, and um, she had some uh, problems, and, and I was able to solve them simply. And, and it was... In regards to garlic, with garlic rust, it was in regards, she she was going to buy a product off us to help naturally sterilise her soil in her glasshouse because she has not had success with tomato plants for the last two seasons, right? So we've we've filled out the order. We're in the process of doing the um, credit card thing. And I said, but... And then I started asking questions. Uh, I said, do you grow potatoes? She said, yes. I said, now, have you had any problems? She said, yes. I said, what are the problems? She said, dark rings in the potatoes. I said, you've got psyllid. You haven't got a soil problem. You've got a psyllid insect problem, which she didn't know about. I said, this is why your tomato plants get so far and basically die. I said, what you need is not this at all. I'm not going to sell it to you because you're wasting your money. It's not going to do a thing. What you need is a cell strengthening kit, which will strengthen your tomato plants as they grow. So when the insects attack later on and the nymphs try to feed on the plant, they can't pierce the plant to feed, and hence they die of starvation very quickly because they get so young just hatched out. I said, use this kit and then you'll grow tomatoes again. She said, oh, that's so wonderful, she said, because <laughs> I, I love growing tomatoes and, and sourcing them and doing all this, uh, and I haven't been able to do so for the last two seasons. Well, you've got a wonderful name across New Zealand for helping people, and you must have over the years built up a huge set of relationships with people. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, I'm well known, but I'm lucky. I can go to the supermarket and nobody stops me. Yes, there you go. That's because <laughs> yeah. you've got your mask on, I bet. No, no, I, 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 <laughs> I put, 
I've got a Paul Newman mask. I put that uh, on. <laughs> Paul Newman. Well, you look a bit like Paul Newman now you mention it. Well, you know, tell me, you sent out an email at the weekend on disease control. Uh, tell us about disease control. Well, this is a totally new concept, and it comes basically from a very uh, highly rated professor, scientist from the States, and it's in regards to using copper fungicide. Now, the example I used was basically in regards to stone fruit and curly leaf. So nectarines, peaches, beginning of the seasons, leaves start to come out. Next thing, they get all distorted with bubbles mm -hmm. and red, and it's called curly leaf disease. And hence what happens is if a lot of the leaves are damaged as such, they can't photosynthesize, they can't get energy from the sun. As a result of that, the fruit that is set will tend to drop or some of it or the whole lot. And if the tree gets really badly affected, it will die. Okay. Now, what we've normally done in the past is spray the tree with a copper spray. So it could be copper oxychloride, copper hydroxide, or in our case, my one is um, uh, what is liquid copper, which is copper sulfate, right? And the problem, of course, then is you spray the tree, but it rains, copper washes off. When the uh, when it rains, that's when the spores from down below get splashed up onto the tree and the attacks the disease, um, well, affects the leaves. Um, so you put rain garden with the copper and that prevents it from washing off in the rain. So you've got that protection for 14 days. But the leaf, we've always said, has to be covered during, as it grows. So what you spray today Within seven days, the leaf has got bigger and it's not no longer covered the whole leaf, only the part you sprayed. So you've got to spray every seven to ten days as the leaves are growing. Even when you do that, chances are some or a lot of the leaves will still succumb to the disease, right? Now, this professor from overseas, he said... The copper fungicide actually doesn't do anything except some of it gets into the plant, and as a result of that, that's why it has a limited success. So he said what you need is a copper nutrient, which means it works from inside the plant rather than from the outside the plant, which the copper fungicide sits on the leaves. Now, the old thing, too, about driving copper nails into your tree, so the tree takes up a, a small amount of copper off the nails, translates through. Some people have a bit of success with that, um, but once again, it's hairy-fairy. Um, the tree's got to get that copper into itself. This new product, when I heard about it um, from a... A place, well, it's a company in Australia called Nutritech, right? They produce it. And I talked to the New Zealand agent, and he was saying that they trialled it on a tree um, at one stage, and they didn't spray the whole tree. They only sprayed a few branches of the tree, right? And they left the rest of the tree without. Now, he said those branches and leaves that they sprayed was completely free of curly leaf, but the rest of the tree had curly leaf. And the following season, without spraying at all, that part of the tree still didn't have curly leaf, but the rest of the tree did, right? Wow. So it was still active within the tree, the copper. Now, the copper um, is an essential, uh, essential element also. And it also helps with photosynthesize and it does a whole lot of things, which I wrote in the article because mm -hmm. I took it off um, another article which had been written. Yeah. So I put this out and it makes sense. 
that instead of having something on the outer leaves, which is going to wash off and affected by weather, etc., put it in the inside of the tree, and then the tree has the full benefit of it. And that's why it helps control or prevent diseases such as curly leaf. Now, it, it's not only curly leaf on stone fruit trees, but let's look at black spot on roses and, and a lot of other um, plants, which from the limited research I did, there's a peacock disease which affects avocados or something. Uh, it's effective on that. I, I didn't look at all the studies uh, because I just didn't have time. So my thoughts are your roses or other plants where you've got plant leaf diseases, rust, black spot, whatever. Um, These are all fungus diseases. Yes, yes. Please. So um, if you spray the plants with this product, uh, which is Wally's Super Copper Nutrient, so we distinguish it from a fungicide and we call it a nutrient. Mm -hmm. So it's a plant food, um, mm -hmm. pure and simply. It's very systemic. It goes through the plant. So at this time of the year for your curly leaf, the trees are not moved yet. They're just sitting there dormant still. It won't be long before they will start to um, bud swell and move. So at this point in time, the recommendation is you spray the leaf, the branches which are going to have the leaves and fruit with the copper nutrient at 10 mils per litre, right, which is full strength application, right? Then a little bit later on, when you're getting some leaves out and there's a, a reasonable show, you spray at the maintenance rate, which is 5 mils per litre. Now, if it's in flower, which could well be at that point of time, um, you spray at the end of the day, when the pollination is finished for the day, so you don't interfere with the pollination. Then a bit later on again, after the fruit is set and you've got a good show of leaves, you'd give it back up another five mil um, per litre um, application and that should hold you fast. Next season, you could take a um, gamble and not spray at all and see if you get any curly leaf or not. No, Chances no. are you may not, right? Or you may give it a maintenance dose after leaves are out of five mils per litre. It's up to the individual. And also with gardeners, um, it's up to them to try it on other plants, such as roses, or um, one lady asked, would it be okay on um, garlic for the garlic rust? I said, I don't know. I just don't know. It's a matter of trying these things and seeing if they do work or not or how well they do work. Um, there's also brown rot on um, stone fruit. Brown rot is a bloody horrible disease. Uh, it attacks the fruit. Um, I hopefully somebody can send phone. <laughs> That's your customers. Yeah. I can see you yeah. sitting there looking at customers calling me. Yeah, already. Hey, wait till I finish talking. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, we're not on air anyway. Um, yeah, stone fruit. What I have suggested and has been very effective according to the reports I've had, it's a when the fruit is formed and it's heading towards maturity, it gets what we call a brown rot, right? And brown rot, the whole fruit is basically brown and rotting, right? And no, no bloody good fruit, anything. Um, not even, yeah. So my suggestion in the past has been you use liquid copper, sulfur, potassium permanganate, and rain guard, and you spray every 14 days, not the tree, just the fruit. Mm -hmm. So the fruit have got protection over them to prevent. Now, one guy came back to me and he said, I, I did what you said, and he said, I've got 90% of my crop was okay. He said, I think if I hadn't gone away for a couple of weeks during the spray program and missed one 
particularly spray lot, I might have got the whole lot. I said, well, that's really good. You've got 90%. That's great. I said, what happened the year before? He said, no fruit. It was all rotten. So there's your proof that it that amount did work, right? Hypothetically, maybe just the spraying of the um, copper nutrient would be sufficient to do it. Now, there's another disease that attacks plums. It's called bladder plum, right? Which means when the plums set, for, set okay, some of them get this disease, and this disease is caused the plum, rather than to be round, it becomes longigated and flat, and it looks like a bladder, right? And hence the reason bladder plum disease. The answer for that is to spray with copper when the tree is actually in flower, and which you only do at the end of the day so you don't affect the pollination, but you're trying to get the copper into the young embryo fruit that is forming as a, as a result of pollination. Now, I, I'm pretty sure if you've got bladder plum and you use this copper nutrient, which will be working from inside the plant, it will do the trick. And you spray before it flowers, and then you spray again after it's finished flowering, the fruit is set. And that, I think, would be 100% successful. Mm. Now, there's another important thing too. A lot of people will spray copper fungicide with conker oil, right? Now, the idea of the conker oil, and this is a thing from Yates from way back, they used to say, well, um, you should put the two together and spray. And the logic of the oil is if there's any insects, such as mites or thrips or something or other, the insects will get smothered by the oil, right? And, and that, that's the purpose of action. You can do it any time of the year, as long as it's out of sunlight, um, and effectively smother um, some of the insect problems we have. Now, when you put the copper and the oil together, um, which I do, used to do that, every time and I had a plum tree that had bladder plum right and at the appropriate time I'd mix the two together and spray the tree I'd, I'd get some fruit but there would still be a lot of bladder plum right so one particular Sunday I went to do this and I didn't have any conquer oil and I couldn't be bothered going out to the garden centre to get some and I thought oh, I'll just do it with the copper I did with the copper, 100% success, no bladder plum. So obviously the oil and the copper together reduces the effectiveness of the copper. So, and, and why spray with the oil anyway, unless you did have an insect problem? Mm. It's only making Yates more money. Take me back to your email you sent out. What was the response? Mm. Look, yesterday I, I was taking like two or three orders off my email and, and I'd be ringing the people up and, and sorting out the mode of payment, et cetera, et cetera, and then I look at the email and there's another half dozen bloody orders. <laughs> I, I sat here all day, you know. Pulling orders. <laughs> and we ended up with a big pile of orders for this. And, and that's, mind you, my uh, article goes out to several hundred people, uh, including gardens, and and even a couple of garden centres uh, got onto the bandwagon, and they've ordered some. What's the product called? It's called Wally's Super Copper Nutrient. And tell me this: this is what I don't understand about gardening. If I had a plum tree or a stone fruit tree. Or, or roses, I thought you said. Mm -hmm. Would, if I had no problem last year, would I still spray it just to avoid a problem or do I wait till I have a problem? Um, my thoughts are wait till you've got a problem. Okay. I mean, so if your plant is healthy 
and you're doing all the right things with the soil, et cetera, et cetera, you won't have a problem. Why waste your money buying a product that is not going to do anything of any consequence? There is one aspect with the copper, according to the uh, information I got, it does actually help uh, increase the immune system of plants. Um, It makes them more uh, able to photosynthesize better, so they get more energy from the sun. So... It's not just these disease control. Yeah, there is some plus sides of it. So theoretically on that basis, if you had the product and you use it at the maintenance rate, which we say is five mils per litre of water, and you spray your plants just once, that's going to do some good. It's probably like giving them some nice real plant food. Um, or um, what? one of the tricks I like to use every now and again, of course, is dissolve some molasses into um, like a tablespoon of molasses. Have I told you this one? No. I call it liquid sunshine, right? And I picked it up from an old gardener from Invercargill who told me about it. You get a tablespoon of molasses, you... Um, Dissolve it in hot water, so it mixes well with the water. You let it cool down, and then you spray the foliage of plants. Now, it's carbohydrates, which the plant has doesn't have to get sunlight to um, photosynthesize to produce carbohydrates. It's got freebies, right? Mm-hmm. It's fast food, freebies. Now, interestingly enough, and I haven't experimented um, too much with this, but according to the pundits, that if you were to spray the foliage of a plant, say every week with the carbohydrates, the leaves will get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Now, the reason is the plant's getting this free stuff, right, and it wants more. (laughs) (laughs) it's like a plant if you put a plant like next to the windowsill all the leaves will face out to the window right Mm. because it's looking for light that light will be converted to sugars carbohydrates right and if you turn the plant around so the leaves are facing back inside again it's only within a few days it's it's turned itself around plants move but they move to light, right? And I think they move also for um, this molasses sugar mm. solution. Now, the problem we we face, of course, with um, dimming skies, hazy skies, is that plants are not growing because they're not getting direct sunlight with nice blue skies. Now, out there in the conspiracy theorist world, which doesn't exist, the people are saying, oh, it's because they don't want us to have food and they want us to eat um, bugs and so forth, Bill Gates, et cetera, et cetera. Now, there's obviously a certain amount of truth in that because we didn't used to have hazy skies in the past, whether caused by chemtrails or not, I don't know. And but, we didn't used to have billionaires telling us to eat bugs. Yeah, we used to have beautiful, <laughs> fluffy white clouds and blue skies, right? Mm. Now, we don't see those big fluffy clouds much anymore, and we don't see the blue skies so much. It's, it's really severely affected locally, the farmers, because um, the grass wasn't getting – it was growing because of um, – light, etc., but it, it wasn't getting the carbohydrates and the cattle weren't getting um, that and hence the milk production, etc., etc., was, was reduced. I noticed that in my um, glass house, my cucumber plant fruited and I ate a cucumber before I got to eat a tomato. Now, that's unusual. You usually have the tomatoes first, and then the cucumber follows up in behind, right? So I put it down that the cucumber has got quite a big leaf, right? And the tomato has a smaller leaf in comparison. So even though there is reduced sunlight, the cucumber could catch it more because it had a bigger solar panel 
mm. basically call mm. it a solar panel, right? The tomato is smaller leaf, not so such a big surface area, and so that was slower in growing and hence produced fruit after the cucumber. Now, if I'd been diligent and I'd got some molasses out and started spraying the foliage, the leaves on both plants would have got bigger, and if I did that on a regular basis, like every few days, um, I would have dropped much, much earlier. And, and, and getting those bigger leaves because of the molasses, that doesn't come at the expense of the fruit. It means that you've got a bigger surface area of leaf, therefore the plant is taking in more energy and therefore you're getting better fruit. Yes, yes, because it also means having a bigger leaf um, that whatever sunlight they can get hold of, um, it's going to be more of mm. it. It's mm. like having a bigger solar panel. If you have mm. a small solar panel, you might create one amp of electricity. Double the size, you've got two amps or more. I um, put molasses in my compost. And yes. um, i I got to tell you about my compost, Wally. I can't believe it. I got several little truckloads um, from a friend who kids have horses and he's sick of all the poo piling up and he very kindly well he was very pleased he's pleased to get rid of it or he's not been lately because he got his truck stuck but he delivered me a whole lot of horse manure and i mixed it up and he just left it in a pile and i put some molasses in i had some worms in my worm farm i took half of them and put it in and i put some straw in oh i have used so much of it in the garden, but I can't believe it, Wally. It's like beautiful, rich dirt. Yeah. You wouldn't believe it's manure. You Lovely. Just, and, and and like you can touch it, like I wouldn't touch horse poo because, yeah, but this is now like earth and filled with worms, Wally. Right. Actually, funny you used to say that. Um, when I was in Palmerston and the warehouse that we were living above there, it was all concrete outside. And I had, I think at the time, something like four, five, six Sharpays, various times I had more or less. And because all their um, toilets were going onto the concrete, we'd have to pick it up. And I had one of those um, compost tumblers, yeah. which um, I, I would put it into that. It got so heavy, the tumbler part broke because it's all full of dog poo, right? And then I, I was doing that for months and months and months, and some tiger worms must have got into there. I'm not sure whether they were there before or I put some in or, or whatever, because I, whenever I come across tiger worms coming out from under these containers and so forth, I always throw them into the compost or mm. into the earth um, worm farm. Uh, anyway... One day I thought, oh, this thing's basically full now. I better do something with it. And I dug down, and it was just seething, literally yeah. seething in, in worms. And the stuff further down was beautiful, beautiful worms. Cast, yeah, yeah. And and now I've um and that I built this nursery, and I, funnily enough, built the nursery where there's the worst soil I could have imagined. It was just where I put the nursery. But now that I have spread this manure over it for the last few months, even in, you know, the cold months down in Otago, man, the soil, and and you put your spade in. I'm, I'm just proud of the soil because the soil's alive. You know, it's chock-a-block with worms, and I can't wait for spring. Um, right. to see what grows in it. And I feel so proud to have taken a barren bit of dirt, literally, rabbit infested, and sort of, you know how rabbits just sort of kill everything. Um, so it was that barren Otago-type ex-paddock that had just been left to the rabbits, and I fenced it off and made this manure and put this manure on it as per Wally Richard's instructions. And it's just alive. Yeah. Then when the plant's coming, you know. Um, and I've I got so excited. I've got all my um I'm I'm ready for my potatoes and yams. I've got my garlic and my shallots in. 
My tunnel house is going great. I've got lettuces growing in that and onions and carrots. I don't know. And I've got some brassicas, but I think they look like they're bolting. And then I built one of your benches, uh, bench gardens with the corrugated iron and filled that with the manure. And then I managed to get for free from Facebook two glass shower doors. Um, and so I built them into it. So it's like a mini glass house and I've got lettuces and that growing. Um, the only thing wrong with the shower doors, I had no idea how heavy they are. So they just about broke me um, putting them in and lifting up, but that works. So I'm very excited. And of course we're heading into the warmer months. Um, so my manure is going to be hopefully some good payback. Yeah. And, and, and it's not even the warmer months. Like we look at the calendar at the moment and we are, we were about the 25th of July, according to my computer, it is. Now, we are over just over a month away from the shortest day. So the daylight hours have increased by a, a minute or a few minutes as mm. we gather momentum mm. heading towards the longest day, which is 21st of December, which is a good day. It's my best day. Nice. So um, I, I was born on the longest day, and my mother said it was the longest bloody thing to get out of me <laughs> too. So um, good things. it's the daylight time, hours. The longer the daylight hours, mm. the more uh, light the plants have, the more energy they get, the more they grow. And now is the time um, heading into August to actually plant up your gardens, your veggies, your your carrots, your cabbages, your cauliflowers, your lettuces, and so forth, because now they won't get a check. They will just get more light every day and grow bigger and bigger and bigger. And then you can give them a spray with molasses if you want to, just to poke them along. And the black magic, uh, not black, black magic, magic, but the um, magic <laughs> we can't say black magic. No. Gates will smack me. Um, our magic botanic liquid, uh, which also increases the plant's ability to photosynthesize because it's got some silica in it, right? Mm. Now, here's an interesting one. When we had the solid problem with tomatoes, in my particular case, potatoes are off. I couldn't grow a tamarillo. It would kill the tamarillo, and the tomatoes failed as well, right? I had a real bad psyllid problem in Palmerston North in my glasshouse and also to a reasonable degree outside. But the glasshouse, it was, it was diabolical, literally, right? My Nutritech friends told me, right, what you've got to do is strengthen the cells of the plants. And so... We got these three products. One's a soil drench, boron and silica soil drench, which you apply to the soil at the time of planting your tomato plant, and then again two weeks later. You only did it twice because boron itself, too much of it can make toxicity, right? And then you also mix up the two other ones, which is a cell-strengthening spray, and the um, super spreader. The super spreader drives the other one into the plant, right, to make sure it gets in. Well, I did that, and the seeds that I used were interesting. They came from a customer when I had a garden centre in Palmerston who was a First World War vet. He was an old man. He said, Here's some tomato seeds I brought back from Europe. He said they're very good. My I like goodness. You to, I like you to have them, right? I said, what are they called? He said, I've got no name, right? So anyway, I grew these seeds. This is going back 40 years ago now. Um, and, yes, the plants are very good. And in Palmerston, I called them Manitou Special, right? It was a beef tape beefsteak-type tomato, nice big tomato and so forth, great. Now, I kept some seeds in the fridge. 25 years later, right, I thought, oh, I'll see if these seeds germinate or not, and I got a 50% strike out of them, which is really good after 25 years. So that was the 
the plants that I actually grew and I did the treatment of the cell strengthening on. Now, the plants grew up and they got sprayed on a regular basis after the soil drench treatment, and the leaves on these plants were monstrous. They, they were like about three times bigger than I would expect to see on a tomato plant. But I couldn't remember 25 years back what the plants were like that I grew then. So I thought, well, maybe they were like that or not. Anyway, I talked to my Nutritech people and they, they said, oh, yeah, because if you use silica into your plant, it means the plant um, can photosynthesize better and the leaves will get bigger and bigger and bigger. It's like the molasses trick. My goodness. And, and so I had these plants with leaves uh, like 18 inches, two foot long, <laughs> right, massive big leaves. And the fruit was real big fruit, beautiful fruit. Um, and it's because the plant was getting much more energy from the sun, from bigger solar panel, more electricity. Tell me, Wally, how big is the variation in your planting regime, north to south in New Zealand? Yeah, well, this is difficult. I'm often asked the question, can you make a program in which you plant this at this time and that time and so forth? And the difficulty is microclimates mm. and where you are in New Zealand, right? If you're up on a mountain, you're not going to have much joy any time of the year because the temperatures and the et cetera, et cetera, it, it's just not convenient. Uh, good. Um, you could have a situation that a person can grow a lot of stuff early, and we're talking about early, say, now or um, even earlier, but 100 metres down the road couldn't. The reason being trees or shelters or whatever causing a microclimate, which means mm. that area. It, he, here's a good example of it. You know the corrugated iron um, uh, raised garden that I talked about? Yes. Right? Now, if you were to fill it right up to the top and plant your plants, they would grow, but they would grow also slowly. But if you were to leave 18 inches below and plant your plants, in other words, you don't fill it up to the top, you'd fill it up to two-thirds and then plant your plants, they will romp. Why? Because the wind passes over the top, it doesn't upset them, and you've got that microclimate you've made as a result. Mm -hmm. So it's the iron all around, 18 inches down, and the seedlings go in. The first time I did it, I planted some seedlings of silver beet. Look, it was two, three weeks later I could harvest the outer leaves. It was so oh quick. My goodness. I um I interviewed Joe Mackey, who you should listen to uh, on a replay because her prediction on sun cycles is that we're getting colder. But she lives up a mountain near Hamilton. She did tell me where, but it meant nothing to me. And she said she's on average five degrees colder than Hamilton. And uh, we got talking gardening after the show. And she, her um, late husband built this beautiful glass house because she sent me a picture of it. And she can grow tomatoes all year round. Isn't yeah. that amazing? And yeah. we, where, I, where I've got my garden, Wally, because I'm in Otago, we've got these hills. High hills, you know, there'd be mountains anywhere else, but in Otago we call them hills. Mm. And in the shortest day, we'd be down to two and a half hours of sunlight, right? And right. then when it gets midsummer, man, at 10 o'clock at night, the sun's still shining. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so that obviously I have to struggle against that sunlight hours, correct? Yes, yes. Because my plants, with the best will in the world, even if they're warm, the wind is bad, so I know to shelter them, and I've got shelters up. And when I did my corrugated iron, like you, I kept it low. 
Uh, I didn't fill it all the way up because the wind is um, tough. And then, of course, I've got my tunnel house. But my fundamental constraint in winter and still now is, you know, the sun doesn't pop its head up um, until sort of, well, at the moment, it would be popping its, it would pop the sun up at 10 a.m. Um, so that's my constraint. And then start, you know, looking gloomy at three uh, mm. just because of that hill. It'll still be daylight, but you're not getting the sun. Is it the sun you need or the daylight? Um, it's light um, and it's particular light frequencies, which, of course, the sun has. Um, in a nursery situation, what they do is they put um, artificial lighting in. Mm. Now, these days you've got these LDCs or whatever they call, which um, have got the right light frequency for uh, growing plants. Um, back in my time, we used to use what was called Grolux tubes, which is kind of an ultraviolet light, or uh, we'd use cool 33 white uh, fluorescence with some incandescent light, which gave um, more or less the right spectrum. Now, what you did in your glass house, you would have a switch which would automatically turn the lights on, say, at 6 o'clock in the morning and run through to after 8 o'clock when the sun is up and away. And then at the end of the day, they'd come on, say, about 4 o'clock in the afternoon and run through to 8 o'clock. And as a result of that, the plants would get this artificial light for part of the day, which would keep the stimulating growth going uh, much longer. And so you'd harvest um, or you'd get your plants into flower, whatever you're trying to do, uh, much sooner. Now, here's an interesting one. Many, many, many years ago, when I was in the nursery business, there was a conference we I went to at Massey, and there was people from all over the world there, and there was two or three uh, nurserymen from Alaska, right? And I got talking to these blokes, and, and I knew full well that, like, six months of the year it's dark, six months of the year it's light, right? Mm. Um, they don't have any night and day, per se, and I said to them, well, there'd be crops that, you know, take um, eight, nine months to grow, which you wouldn't be able to grow in Alaska. And they said, no problems. I said, what do you mean? They said, well, when, when the light comes on for our six months of light, it's 24 hours a day. Really? Of course it's 24 hours a day. Yeah. So what you would take you three months to grow, we can grow in one and a half months. How amazing. Yeah. But in the nighttime, the dark side of the moon, um, Pink Floyd, then, of course, you can't grow anything of any consequence unless you're using artificial light. Because I went, I spent a year in Montana, and I'll never forget arriving there, and it was um, spring, summer, and the grass, I have never seen grass like it. Everywhere you looked, and no paddocks. It was just miles and miles of grass up to your knees, and everything was luxurious. And I thought, where are all the stock? And then, of course, winter hit. And for nine months, um, <laughs> it was snow on the ground. You know, we were 5,000 feet up. It was snow on the ground, and nothing grew. And then when spring hit, bang, everything grew. It was so glorious, and it was that sharp. And, of course, I realize it's what you're saying to us to a lesser extent from Alaska because when they got light and warmth, it poured in, and so they got a much faster growth than I'd ever seen. Right. Yep, yep, yep. So, you, you, so my thing now is what I'm going to aim towards is to have a glass house that has LED lights um on a timer i'll need to get power there somehow but that sounds so exciting because you could be growing under lights um lettuces and tomatoes all year round yeah 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 is the sure. light do you would you need to warm it a little bit with the electricity or something or is the light enough 
Well, light is a big thing and, and the warmth factor. Now, that's the other reason where the corrugated iron raised garden works because the sun hits the side of the corrugation, heats mm. up the soil inside. But here's a trick. I don't think I've told you this one. I love your tricks. Right. Okay. And I learned this one years ago. This time of the year, you might want to plant something like um, kumra or whatever, and, and they need heat. Or you might just want to um, start off some plants early and, um, by seed or seedlings, and because the soil is cold, until the soil gets up to a temperature about 10 degrees Celsius, it doesn't germinate seeds and it doesn't help uh, plants grow much. That's why when we germinate seeds, we have a heat pad. We put the container on the heat pad, heat from below comes up, and the seeds will germinate as long as um, this uh, kept moist. So what you do is this, very simply. You you make a bit of a trench, half a spade or a spade depth, right? Then you go and mow the lawn and catch all the grass clippings. And then you take the grass clippings and you layer them on the base of the trench and then you sample them down and go and mow some more and, until you've got a good thick layer of trampled grass at the bottom of your um, trench. Then you put some soil or compost over the top of that and you plant. Now, down below, all this, as you well know, if you put a um, pile of grass together, you put your hand in it a few days later, it's bloody hot, right? So you've got all the heat, free heat from Mm. the grass decomposing. And that then also becomes food after it cools down. And that will be the heat to germinate your seeds or start your plants off whatever you want to do. Isn't it amazing? And, of course, I'm guessing that that heat is coming from the micro, micro, yeah, the microbes. The microbes. So it's a living thing that's not just providing warmth for your plants, but nutrients. Yeah, yeah. Add a little bit of um, garden lime to that so you keep the pH um, alkaline. Um, Add a bit of molasses to it, uh, increase the populations. You'll have a furnace going, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Is it? You make me. I'm talking to you. I've never gardened in my life. I get so excited. I'm going to hop out to my garden as as soon as we've finished this and uh, the show and start working in the garden because it's just such a joyful thing to do, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah. Tell but me. You're lucky you've got the time to do it. I'm, I'm answering all the phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of which, tell us about Wally's Secret Copper Nutrient. Have I got that name right? Yes, that's one, Wally's Secret And you, that's the nutrient that will deal with fungus on you say stone fruits, also roses. Anything else? Well, this I don't know, but um, commercially, on commercial crops, it's been used on quite a few, from my understanding, with great success, right, for different fungus-type diseases, right, because it's working from the inside of the plant, not yes. the outside. And it's, and you can get that with Wally. You can ring them on 0800. 466464. And they can and order it on our website, which is the same. The same yep. or you can email Wally at wallyjr at nz. But Wally's made a trick to cut out the people that don't follow instructions. Garden News, think about this, only has one end. And um, if you're like me, a bit slow, you'll be emailing Wally furiously with two ends. Garden News, no, Garden News with one end. Now, Wally, I have never grown, well, I've never grown anything, but this year I'm growing uh, vegetables. I've got two questions for you. One is, I'm thinking I'm going to concentrate on a few things, you know, like my potatoes, my yams, um, cabbages. I'm not going to grow a whole lot of different things just because I think I might get myself confused. Because you could you could grow 
I don't know, 30 different vegetables in your garden, couldn't you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, What's the logic of growing three or four vegetables versus growing 30 different ones? How, How do you figure that out? Okay, well, first of all, the first criteria is what's the point of growing something that you're not going to eat, right? So you look at your diet and you say, well, we want lettuces for summer, we make lettuce salads, um, we need tomatoes, cucumbers, capskin. So for our salads, we're going to grow those plants, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for we might want to grow cabbages, uh, the kids don't like broccoli, so what's the point of growing broccoli? Because they won't eat it. Um, mm. So you make a decision as to what you would buy from the supermarket and those are the plants you grow. Okay. Then you can extend out from that, and particularly if you're a bit of a chef in the kitchen and you might want um, cold rabbi, um, mm. which is another brassica, and... Um, so you grow some cold rabbi, or you might like my um, partner. She likes bok choy, so I always grow lots of bok choy for her. Well, we've got a problem in our household. My kids are virtual carnivores, right? But I always put veggies on their plate and make make them eat some. But there's a deeper problem, and my wife loves salad. Right. And I can sort of eat a salad, but I love potatoes, peas, and carrots and broad beans. Right. But this is this is a thing nowadays, right? And so (laughs) I've planted what I like. So we're gonna be eating a lot of potatoes and yams. Right, yep, yep. Um, and I, to be fair, I have got some lettuces in, but I don't know. These days, women like eating what I think is sort of, um, well, I, I suppose we call it rabbit food, but, um, man, I love a potato. I yes. just think I love soaking up gravy in a potato. I love potatoes with butter on it. Potatoes, to me, are so delicious, and my wife can sort of, she, she'll eat a third of a potato, and you're thinking, what is this, a potato? It's the most beautiful thing. Maybe I don't know. Is that a funny thing that we have these days? No. Well, we grew up eating um, uh, what potatoes and a couple of veg and, and meat. Um, yeah, and remember you know. the potatoes would have been six months old, all withered up and having shoots coming out, and we'd still be eating them, waiting. And when the new potatoes arrived, oh my goodness, mm. it was Christmas. It was, it was. It, it was, was literally the same Christmas you have these new potatoes and then when winter's rolling around, these potatoes had sat in a dark room and they'd got all wrinkly and you'd be peeling about a quarter of an inch off them to get to the flesh to eat. Um, and that, so that's my little thing that I'm working on, how much to plant, and I'm working through that as I learn because this is really my first season. Second thing is... Um, Just before you go on there... Now, here's the problem. You've got lots of land, right? Yes. So you don't have a problem. You could plant heaps of stuff if yeah. you wanted to, right? Yeah. You could grow 20 rows of potatoes, yeah. right? But think about the poor people who have got very little land. Now, yes. they have to be very select. They can't grow potatoes unless they grow them in containers. They can't grow uh, a number of things that take up a lot of room, like peas, for instance. Um, they wouldn't grow peas. They, they would grow some lettuces because lettuces don't take much room. Um, they can grow some salad crops, some spring onions. Uh, they grow some carrots. Carrots don't take much room. But they're limited yeah. by so their it's horses land for size. Courses. horses for courses. You've got to work it yeah. out. And presumably as I get experienced, I'll know what that – and here's another thing. I think flowers and roses are very beautiful. And my mother was a great gardener and grew beautiful, beautiful, beautiful roses. And in your emails, you talk about roses a lot. And clearly, you like growing everything. But I can't understand why I'd grow something I wouldn't eat. (laughs) And um, is that a thing too? Is that a, a 
some people like flower gardens and rose gardens, and then other people like their veggies um, or their fruit trees. And here you are as a person that loves growing everything. Yeah, um, I, I think, once again, it goes back to your childhood. When mm. I grew up and I was a young nipper, three, four, five-year-old, the house we lived in was um, had a big section and there was roses, there was um, flower gardens, et cetera, et cetera. There was a succulent garden. There was um, – and out the back – there was um, a small lawn. It wasn't a big lawn because most of it was taken up in veggie gardens and a hen house, Chook Run. Mm. Um, there was an area to the side, I remember, um, which was a reasonably big area, which that's where we'd grow potatoes in. Um, but the, And there was fruit trees, of course, and, and fruiting bushes. Um, so it was a situation where you were fairly self-sufficient in basic foodstuffs, veggies and eggs uh, and chicken street, which was a luxury in those days, my yeah. God, eating a chicken, not like these days. Um, and then in the front, for uh, the people walking by, has to see something nice. Mm. The front would be the roses. <laughs> yeah, so and the, the roses and the, and the petunias and stuff. And that be. was mum's job. Um Yes, yes. Um, but she, she was a keen gardener, and, of course, that's where I got it from. Um, she grew veggies, et cetera, et cetera. But harken back, she she was the youngest of a family of 14. Gee. And they went through the Depression. They went they, – they left their farm. They had to walk off a farm at one stage. 14 kids and the mum and dad um, – just had to walk away and start again um, during the Depression. Uh, so they lived through some very, very tough times. And, of course, in those days there's no social welfare like there is today, um, so you didn't go on the dole. You you, you just made it happen. Um, and it was a hard-working family. Um, her brothers they were... Um, builders and um, blacksmiths and all sorts of manual labour stuff. Um, so, of course, they had a keen interest in growing food mm. because and, and preserving, like, oh, my yes. God. But it was an economic necessity. Yes, it was. Um, and, and it was security mm. because um, if times got tough, you, you had a, a pantry full of Oh, you'd live for three everything. months. Yeah. You'd live for three months easy. Um, and, of course, darning socks and mending things. Um, nowadays, you can't imagine darning a sock. No. No, you go to Bunnings. I get them. a feeling, maybe it's just me, but we're sort of getting back to that a bit too and the value of that. Um, so you might see me growing roses and darning socks, but I do – I do admire, I do admire those times now in hindsight, um, where you'd walk in and there'd be a kitchen pantry, and it'd be chock a block with ag jars and fruit. Yeah, yeah, as, as a delicious thing for dessert through the winter winter months. Right, and, um, hard work on bottling day. Oh, the- but it was fun. I mean, to so- say. Hawke's Bay, where the peaches and pears and so forth came from, um, she would wait until um, there was a, a glut on the market and then you could get a whole case, very yes. cheap, like five shillings for yes. a whole case of peaches, you yes. know, and, and then the sugar wasn't too expensive and that's all you needed was yes. the sugar. And, uh, and, and I can imagine going, well, I can remember going up in the old Ford, 1936 Ford V8 and heading up to Lowburn from Rangura at that time and getting boxes and boxes of fruit and my mother spending days bottling. Um, and it was a lovely thing because you're a little boy helping them. Yeah. And um, you felt very special. Oh, we're getting old, Wally. Um, but isn't it wonderful? I'm I'm um, going to get out in the garden later, and inspired by you, you're very wonderful. 
Um, you're going to be busy on your phone taking calls. I have to say, I'm still a fan. I'm a great fan of your magic botanic liquid. It's amazing. Right. Um, it's clearly boosting my my plants. And um, I'm working in with the sunlight uh, as it starts to come in. And I'm I'm feeling my earth is ready to receive seedlings and man when spring comes i'm going to have a great growth we're going to have a lot to talk about wally thank you for being on the show that was wally richards uh you can give him a ring 0800 466 464 few people were cut off while we were talking great thought about molasses like i said i put some uh i got some. you get it cheap at the supermarket and i mix it in warm water and then let it cool down i put it in my um my compost, and man, I just couldn't believe it. Who knows, because I did sort of everything. I put in worms, uh, but that molasses made such a difference to my compost, and it's filled me with delight, irrespective of the veggies that will come, just to take what was barren soil and have it come alive, full yeah. of nutrients and, and, and black, dark, deep earth with wiggly worms in it. So wonderful. Wally, you're on uh, Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. It's Reality Check Radio. Thank you for listening. Oh, and give Wally a call. I might. Have, I don't think I probably said his number. 0800-466-464. As you can tell, he's just a passionate gardener who loves helping people. He loves plants, but I get the I get the sense that Wally loves people even more. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m.